The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Why is it that professional services firms find it so complex and even perplexing to grow intentionally and sustainably? To answer that question, Angie Grissom. Angie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Hey, listen, this is cool. So you run a a firm that works entirely with professional services firms, helping them grow, helping them get where they want to go. Professional services firms are different than other kinds of firms. They're not like manufacturers. They're not like other types of companies. First of all, what's the weirdness or what's the thing that's different about these professional services firms? You know, that's a great question. Um, Well, with manufacturing firms or other types of companies, you typically have something that you're selling that's, you know, product or widget. And with professional service firms, the people are the product. The people are the service. And so it's really a people business. So when we look at growth, we have to think through, you know, the value of the relationships that the people bring and, and the expertise and the connection and, and things like that. Um, it's not about necessarily tweaking a product or having a new innovative product. It's about having a new innovative approach or a deeper relationship. So that's probably the main difference. You know, I, I grew up in the professional services firms world. I started at Pricewaterhouse and, you know, they're not known for having the most personality oriented people. You know, they're, they're not salespeople. I mean, accountants are accountants. Does that make it extra hard to work with those kinds of firms? Are they, are they open to learning this stuff or are they kind of set in their ways? What's your experience? You know, we work with with accounting firms and law firms and professional service firms. And what I have found is they are, they are, fascinating, fascinating professions and, and industries. And um, certainly there are there are people that are more um, technically focused and introverted that when you say to them, hey, we want you to sell or we want you to be a rainmaker, they might cringe or hide under their desk for a minute. But the, the reality of it is most people in those firms are really great technicians and client servers. And they have a passion for helping their clients. And so if you can tap into the passion for how they give back, how they help their clients, um, and really show them that client service and growth is all about helping. Um, and we teach in Rainmakers, selling is helping. So I think the, the trick is 
if you can tap into um, the personalities of the people and really tap into their why, why they're doing what they're doing, why did they get into what they're practicing, what are the results they've seen in their careers, then people really get excited and motivated about serving and growing. And that's what it's all about. So Yes, it can be challenging for certain personalities, especially those that come out of school thinking, gosh, I went to school to be a a lawyer or an accountant not to sell um, and then be told to do that. But I think when you sort of decode it for them and show them that that selling and serving are helping and it can be exciting, then it's sort of a paradigm shift for them and they get on board. That's not only applicable to professional services people. There are a lot of people that just have a really negative connotation about selling. Their impression is that there's something really bad about it, that you're kind of forcing people to do what they don't want to do. But the truth is that, uh, you know, you're helping people to solve problems, whatever the problem is, you're making some situation go away that they don't want to be in or help them deal with something they don't want. My sense from, you know, I I still am a CPA. Uh, I don't practice, haven't practiced in a long, long time. But my sense is that accountants could be some of the best sellers that there are because they're so rational. And also because they're good question askers. They ask, professional people tend to ask really good questions. That's their business. And, And so that's kind of my experience is that if they can get over the hump that you're talking about, which is not think that it's a bad thing, then they could probably be great at it. Absolutely. I have found that the interested introvert is more uh, successful many times than the interested extrovert. And, And we've said that at Rainmaker for years and years, because it comes down to you being interested in what what your client is facing. And the clients of the professional service firms that we're working with are business owners and their CFOs and their controllers and their leaders in their own industries. And so if you can get really interested in their business and um, you can ask the right questions. And here's the kicker, and this is something we teach, not be limited only to the questions surrounding the service that you offer. So let's use taxes as an example. We want to teach a CPA that when they're meeting with a client to broaden the meeting beyond just the questions related to whatever they're offering because they're sort of programmed to do that. Well, you can't build what we call a trusted advisor relationship with a client if you're not asking questions beyond a small area. So questions like, tell me, you know, what are your, what are your personal goals? What are you working towards in the next three to five years? Tell me more about that. Or tell me about your business. How did you get in this? How did you get started? What's your favorite thing about it? What's your biggest challenge right now that you're facing? Tell me about your competition. Tell me about your, your team members. How are you developing them? How do you find them? And granted, not every you know, question or, or challenge is something that, that we are going to be able to solve, obviously. But what it does is it opens up your, um, it opens up your exposure as an advisor and it opens up the opportunity for you to be able to connect your client with a network of people that you have that are, you know, lawyers and bankers and, and engineers and professionals. We all meet all of these people that are great network. 
when you ask the right questions of your client, no matter what industry you're in, it allows you an opportunity to better help them and serve them and connect them with the right people, which ultimately helps you be a better advisor to them. It usually produces more work for you and for your firm, and it just changes the dynamic of the relationship. Do you think that the reason that uh, maybe these accountants or these other professionals are not asking those kind of broader questions is because they're worried that they're going to have to answer the question that they ask, that they're expected to know the answer? Absolutely. No doubt. But they're not. I mean, in a certain way, they should just ask a question that they want to know the answer to because maybe the client knows the answer. Like, how did you pick your people or how did you decide what your goals were going to be? In a certain way, there's nothing wrong with learning from the other person, right? Absolutely. And a lot of times the answers lie within the person who, you know, who's answering the question. But, um, you know, my point is if you ask questions about what's going on broadly and really sit down and relax and open up and just really start to understand the motivation behind the client, no matter what, again, what, what area you're working in, you are able to uncover opportunities to build the relationship, connect with them in different ways, and also find additional um, connections or opportunities. You know, one example might be, Um, if if I'm asking somebody, you know, what are your goals in three to five years? What would you like to see? And they said, well, Angie, I would really, I would like to expand operations so that we have, you know, factories in two or three cities or dealerships in two or three cities. And I might ask the question, well, what's stopping you? What's your biggest barrier in that? And the answer might be, well, we really don't have the cash flow to do it, or we really don't have the competitive intelligence or the market intelligence. That might be an opportunity for me to connect them with somebody that does or help them find that information or or maybe even help them with their cash flow issues as a CPA, for example. So you see how when you broaden your approach with a client, it creates all kinds of opportunities. And that's what we're out there teaching in the accounting profession right now, as I'm sure you're, you're aware, there's a huge trend in moving from compliance to advisory. And people are saying, well, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? You know, I've, I've been trained in a certain way. And how am I now supposed to be a consultant to, to my clients? Well, the way that you do is you, you ask broader questions. You uncover what the needs are. You look for ways to leverage the technology that we have to serve them in ways that maybe we needed to do manually years ago. So I really think business development just at the core comes down to understanding your current clients, understanding what their needs are, what their motivations are, and finding ways to add value in every interaction, whether it's a phone call or a shared article or just stopping by and having regular meetings to talk about strategy. You've got to take care of your clients and build a relationship and build rapport and add value to get more clients like them through referrals. And that's in any industry, honestly, but especially when you're dealing with the professional services industry, which is a people business. So I I think you have to start there. You know, one of the things uh, that I just, I've noticed, uh, you know, about accountants is that they have so much to bring to the table. 
And, and they're uh, frequently, they're just kind of nervous or afraid to kind of let it out. Like ask some of the questions that you're, that you're asking and, and part of the difficulty for, uh, for them and attorneys have this problem. HR people have the same problem is that they do a lot of compliance, but they're also required to be very strategic. A client will come to them and ask for them to, to help them to figure out how to get from here to there, which is strategic. But then they also have to pick up the shovel and actually build the, the rhythm. And, and how do you help people balance being strategic against being tactical? Oh, that's, that's the million dollar question. It's sort of left brain, right brain, right? Um, it, it's <laughs> difficult. And, and what I have found is I think that people in the accounting profession anyway are naturally or, or historically have naturally been more inclined to be more tactical because of the requirements. And you know, you learn in school that in university that you have to check the box and you have to, you know, do technical work a certain way. And we're never really teaching the skill set of consultative or advisory services. And there are people that are naturally more inclined than others to be a consultant. They're sort of blue sky thinkers, more strategic, more uh, creative artistic types. And then there are those that, that are less that way. Firms need to embrace both naturally and not chew up and spit out those that are um, creative at the beginning because they, they're not fitting in the mold or the norm of, of the past partners that were technically you know, the most proficient and find a way to develop and manage those people while tapping into the skill set of those technicians that are more technical by introducing things like a gap analysis. And, and tools. So you can bridge the gap, but you've got to nurture and develop people based on what their natural propensity is. You know, <laughs> I was one of those creatives when I, when I was a youngster and I was at Pricewaterhouse. My handwriting was terrible. I didn't get the dimes and the pennies in the right columns. And that's because we used to actually use paper back in those days. Uh, it was just as computers were coming on in 85 and 86. And, and they would yell at me that my, my handwriting was terrible and I just, it, I, everything was a mess. And I would say back, you know, it doesn't matter. This company's going to be broke in six months. What difference does it make? And, you know, listen, looking backwards, clearly they were right. I was wrong. I was just a kid, but I knew I didn't belong there. And ultimately, uh, if I didn't quit, I'd have been fired for sure because it just wasn't my environment. It wasn't the right place for me. But you know, I've heard, I've heard managing partners say the same thing. But somebody recognized their gift in some of these situations, and actually they became the managing partners of firms where they would have been fired. So it could have gone another way for you, depending on who, who recognized it. Yeah, and, and you know what? And, and nobody did, I guess, at that time. And I went off and I did my own thing. But what's interesting about this is this opens a whole discussion about leadership, you know, and, and really about what leaders need to be looking for. Because I, I kind of think of leaders as casting directors, they have to put the right person into the right job. And, you know, how do you counsel accountants on, on leadership? You know, what, what is your, cause you must see that a lot. Um, well, that, that's a broad topic, but in terms of um, just maybe locating talent, you know, in, in one area and that, and that's not, that's not necessarily something we consult around in terms of recruiting, but I'll tell you, we, we do work with firms um, at various levels to determine how, how to how to best prepare people at every 
level for the leadership soft skills they need and the business development skills they need to be promoted. And it comes down to understanding who they are naturally. You know, we use the everything disc profile, which is great. Are you a dominant, a high D, an influencer, an I, a steady S or a C conscientious? And and what does that mean for the way that you naturally communicate? And and what does that mean for um, the way that, you know, your teams work together? And so there are great tools out there like the disc profile and, and many others that that help you determine sort of where where to start and then really coaching around the importance of empowering mentoring people setting clear goals holding them accountable looking at results at every level we call that raising the bar behavior accountability and results um, just yesterday I did a session um, around the importance of effective coaching in the area of business development. And we talked about what is a good coach and what is a bad coach. And the participants were talking about those people that that understand that everybody is different, that you bring different things to the table, those that, that want to empower you, those that want to meet you where you are and hold you accountable. That's what creates a good coach. Um, they're not trying to create mini-me's. So in terms of leadership from the top down, I think being a good cognizant leader and coach is important. Understanding that people bring different gifts to the table and helping to nurture those and not create a mini managing partner out of everybody would would be some advice. Yeah. Let's um, let's change directions. Um, In order for companies to uh, grow and be successful, they have to have a selling culture. Something has to be about their culture that they're selling. Maybe they partition it. You know, a few people sell and other people don't, or, or some places everybody sells a little. What, what do you see and what's, what's a success formula for, for some of these companies? I believe that almost every um, position requires selling or business development. And I believe strongly in creating a sustainable growth culture in in organizations. I think that if you are internally focused, you're you're selling internally, you're selling your ideas internally to your team members. I think that you can be external and and focused on building uh, relationships with clients and selling. I think that the best firms that are focused on growth and culture understand that and they find ways to encourage and empower people at every level, whether it's the person that's answering the phone or the firm administrator or just the staff or managers to find a way for them to create opportunities within the client base, super serve and uncover new opportunities. And there are lots of ways to do it. When I hear people say, not everybody is a rainmaker and some people just belong behind the desk. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. I, I think that the people that are even the most technically proficient and they have their pocket protectors and they, you know, they, they really aren't focused on talking to people. Those people sometimes can build the most loyal, best relationships with their clients and they get more referrals than anybody. Um, we find sometimes that the rainmakers that come to our Rainmaker Academy class the ones that walk in and won't even look us in the eye are the ones that end up being the biggest rainmakers because of the strength of relationships. So whether you are an administrative assistant or the CEO of the company, I think there's a way for you to contribute to the growth. 
That's a, that's a great concept. I love that. So the guy with the pocket protector walks in and that guy clearly, uh, he, he becomes an expert. He's a, a highly technical type person, you know, whatever. And we kind of, you know, make up this avatar of that kind of person, which is kind of funny to do, but what does expertise marketing look like with, you know, if somebody's going to market expertise, how do they do it? What are some of the steps? Because some of this can be generalized to other industries outside of accountants and attorneys. I mean, uh, expertise exists in firms across the spectrum. I mean, all kinds of companies have expertise. So how do you teach true experts how to market their expertise? Well, specialization is key to survival these days. You can't be everything to everyone, as you know, with, with, the, uh, the changes and the trends in the industry and the, the technology available, you really need to find what you're best in class at. Um, and that, that starts early in your career, de- defining how you want to be known. So we think it's really, really important to be niched or niched so that you are working to be a specialist in, in a specific area. For us, for example, professional service firms in the area of leadership, business development, um, and culture. We're not, we're not working with a hundred different industries in a hundred different ways and teaching tax and accounting and everything else because we can't be best in class if we do it all. The same applies for other companies. So, um, we actually have a really neat panel that we do at our super conference every year called the Niche Superstars panel that we started last year that will be an annual thing. And the topic of that panel is exactly what you're asking. How do you best promote your specialization and become famous in an industry. And so there are many best practices, but I think the bottom line is declare who, who you are and what, how you want to be known. First of all, make sure that you are supporting, you're supporting that through the effective certifications and trainings. Make sure that you're constantly investing in yourself. You're building a team around you. You've identified your ideal client profile. You have your social media presence that really uh, represents the articles, the podcast, the uh, thought leadership that you're putting out there. Get out there with thought leadership. Make sure that you can tell success stories on your ideal client profile and how you've, you've impacted them and, and changed them. So if you can tell a powerful story and you can back it up with expertise and thought leadership, that's the best way to do it. And so that goes for somebody that's focused in one specific niche or area or somebody that's marketing to high net worth individuals around planning, for example. So it, it's applicable, um, I think, across industries, but you've got to get really specific and targeted, and then you can be effective. And so let's say people haven't, uh, you know, done a great job of that so far. Uh, is it too late after you're young? Or I mean, uh, is it ever too late to get started doing that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So where does somebody start? I mean, because I heard you talk about social media. Partly you're talking about being technical. Uh, you know, so one half is you have to acquire the expertise. The other half is you have to let the world know that you're an expert. So there's two halves to this equation and you kind of have to be doing both at one time. Is is there a formula that people should follow or what happens? Yeah, so, so if I were coaching around that, for example, I would say you're already doing something. Let's figure out what it is. So let's do a segmentation project, for example, and let's look at, we'll use accounting again as an example. Let's look at 
the, the services that you're offering of the 100% of billable time that you have, what, what breakdown is tax? What breakdown is audit? What breakdown is consulting? And in that, what are the categories where you're spending your most time, most of your time? What are the industries or niches? So we, we want to look at a full segmentation for how you are working, um, what your background is, what, what you're involved in, what you're passionate about, which is a huge thing, and determine where do you want to go? How, how can you focus more on this profitable segment? Say it's manufacturing, right? So you're really passionate about doing consulting services in in manufacturing, for example. So how can we find more clients that look like your clients? How can we get you equipped through joining organizations? We have a manufacturing niche association, for example. There are many different kinds of organizations that you can join based on your specialization to, to be aligned with the right people, to get the expertise, to be able to contribute in thought leadership. So Determine who you want to be or where you're starting. Determine what your your target client looks like. Determine how to continue investing in yourself. And then create a profile and get the testimonials and the stories that you already have to support that. That's for somebody that's established. For somebody that's new in their career, it might be, let's talk about your passions. Are you passionate about food and wine? Well, maybe wine is is a really great industry to look at. There's a there's a great opportunity out there for niche. Maybe you, you could start a brewery niche within your firm. Things like that. We see it all the time, but it's never too late. What you don't want to be is is everything to everybody, though. You know, sometimes firms put um, constraints on people, though. I mean, the firm does certain business and, and it's not going to let them go off and start a beer and wine kind of thing. I mean, so they kind of have to find their way inside of the environment that they're in or else they have to change environments, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, the best firms I'm finding are ones that are open to exploring additional opportunities because as the market is changing, there might be a sub-segment of a, an established industry niche that is unexplored. If you can find those gaps in the segment, in the market, many times, the, you know, there's an opportunity for somebody to to lead one of those segments, a young person. So the size doesn't really matter. Some some smaller firms are very open to, you know, to innovation and looking for for gaps in the market because they're they're agile and they're small. Some large firms are open because they want the best people and they want to find ways to give people an opportunity to be very entrepreneurial. So it really it, it doesn't really depend on the size of the firm, but if you can make a case for maybe going after a segment and get the help and support to do it, I think it's certainly worth exploring. There's a whole other area I want to kind of go into. This world of ours is under assault by uh, artificial intelligence, new kinds of technologies. Uh, I know that there are firms that at six o'clock at night, when everybody goes home, they ship the files to uh, India and other places, and then all the data entry and all the inputs done there. So when they come back in the morning, everything is ready, and they so. It just a lot of the compliance work that accountants have grown up on, a lot of the bread and butter, really low level stuff that uh, that that they probably shouldn't be doing anyway, but they do uh, and they make their money on it is going away. And so they have to kind of go to a higher level. What, what's what's going on there? How are you counseling companies to get away from compliance, move into higher level work? Because this has got to be a big conflict area for them. 
Absolutely. It, it can be terrifying um, for sure. I think that the important thing is to understand it, understand that um, technology is impacting every area of our life and has been, and it's moving very quickly and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I mean, I just think about the way that I interact um, with, with my bank day to day or week to week and, and communicate with my kids and how I, there are so many apps that keep me on track with things that, that I'm working on and how that wasn't the case seven years ago and how, you know, I, I text with clients back and forth and that's our primary communication a lot of times when we're on the road. And that wasn't the case seven years ago. We have to look at it with an open mind and know that technology is impacting what we're doing personally and professionally. And I think that there's an opportunity to embrace it and not be fearful. We do need to be prepared, but it's not like we're going to wake up tomorrow and nobody's going to have a job or jobs are going to go away. I think it's a matter of being open-minded and know that technology has to be a part of how we serve clients. The way that we communicate with clients now via Zoom um, video calls, for example, is, is different than it was a few years ago. The way we communicate with each other, the, the gig economy, the Uberization of accounting, the way we hire, all of those things are, are, are making an impact. And so when it comes to serving clients and, and really elevating the level of service we have, I think it comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of, of our session today getting to know the client and really understanding what the opportunities are. And maybe it's not a compilation by hand that you're doing. Maybe it's more of a strategic quarterly meeting around their goals so that you find ways to consult with them. And if you can't do it, you bring people in that can. I think it's more of a high touch people opportunity and technology is going to do some of this stuff that we don't, use as much of our brain for, but we're going to have to use our people skills and our relationship skills that, that robots can't mimic. We're still in a people business. And so the opportunities there, don't be afraid of it. Um, be more consultative, look at ways to position yourself as an advisor and, you know, focus on the gaps in the market where you can create value, um, where technology, technology might create the numbers or pull the numbers, but you've got to be the one that interprets them and personalizes them. So it's, you know, it's a little scary, but it's also an opportunity. Listen, I personally see it as a tremendous opportunity, but I can understand why some people would be afraid of it because they're, maybe they're not that great with people and they felt more comfortable kind of just working with paper and pencil or computer or whatever they do. And, and now they're going to kind of have to be forced to do what they don't want to do. I think accountants and, and professional people can be the best consultants and, and the best salespeople because they just ask questions and they solve problems. But there's a little bit of a self-confidence gap that probably exists. It's, it's really more than anything. This is probably going on inside the person's head more than it's even real. Absolutely. And in our training, we focus on helping people overcome that. Um, overcome the fear of asking the hard questions and, you know, building the relationship with them and understanding that many times we don't know the answer and it's okay not to know the answer. It's okay to say, that's a really great question. And I'm going to go back and, and pull my team together. And we're going to talk about that and schedule a follow-up meeting and, and find ways to help you solve that. Um, again, back to mentorship, it's really good to have people that are naturally okay with not knowing the answers um, on your team 
and and learn from them and be a part of a team. Maybe maybe it's not your thing that you want to work with top clients one-on-one and have these meetings, but you know what? You can be part of a team. You could be the, the technical expertise on the team. So there are lots of ways, practice and just coaching to get over it. And what we found is the more they do it, the more comfortable they are. And they'll come back and say, hey, Angie, that actually worked. You know, that that drawing the gap analysis on the napkin at lunch actually worked and he wants a follow-up meeting and it didn't kill me and I didn't have a heart attack. It was fine. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is that the, the client really wants to do more stuff with the professional. The professional doesn't really realize that. It's like, you know, you hire a great plumber. Uh, next time you have a plumbing problem, you don't want to go to the yellow pages and start over and find a new plumber. You go want to go back to the same guy because you had a good experience, right? And that's how clients are feeling with their with their professionals is they don't want to look for somebody else to get help. They want to go back to the same person and they want that person to kind of coordinate whatever the issue is. And and I think sometimes the professionals forget that, that they forget about what it's like being on the other side of the table. Well, it is certainly a painful change <clears throat> for people to change um, CPAs because you're right. It's it's your most personal information. It's your finances. It's your livelihood. and People don't like to change. And so that's that's one good thing um, that incumbent firms have on their side is that you've got a relationship. And, and CPAs are typically really good with people. They're really loyal. They build great relationships. But, you know, bottom line, if a client does not feel that their, you know, service provider is offering innovative solutions and good foresight and insight into their business, they will find somebody that that is. And that's what we're hearing. And where decisions used to be made by one or two people. And I've known I've known Ron for 20 years and I went to his daughter's wedding and he would never he would never leave me. Well Ron is not the decision maker anymore. It's Ron and Angie and Amy and David and a group of people that you have to build a relationship with individually, it's more complex. So you can't rely on that loyalty like you could in the past. Um, So that's why it's so important to have a team approach and really build a relationship individually with everybody and be on top of your game when it comes to the value that you're offering. Well, listen, that's the inside track right there. I mean, that's the, the fact that you have to go deep in the relationships, uh, people have children that take over their businesses. People sell their businesses. I mean, there's a lot of ways that uh, companies can go away. So you may think you're going to have a lifelong relationship, but bottom line is that uh, we want people to profit from the inside, which is the inside insights, the inside track that we have on on this. And, and you absolutely have the inside track on building these firms. It's what you do all day long and your firm is uh, is so well known. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and being part of this. And just letting people know what you know. Really uh, appreciate it. We'll put your contact information in the show notes. So if people want to reach out to you, they can. Uh, but, But listen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Joel. It was great. Great. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. 
Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.